0: So really, to my knowledge, there's possibly only two or three um, float planes flying actively for privately for fun. Yeah, everywhere we're landing on the water now is, is basically a first. Um, so wherever we go with the plane, even at the airports, we find that the pilots get out of their jets and come across and they want to look inside the float plane. and. I keep getting calls from all these professional pilots, from JAL or ANA, saying, Look, I want to come up and land on water. It's my dream. How do I do it? Um, so wherever we go, we're always greeted by smiles. It's, uh, it's beautiful.
1: Good day, everyone, and welcome to episode number 12 of the Stoll Collective. I'm still your host, Maxime Compagnon. Well, um, it's been almost five weeks since our last episode and uh, there is a good reason for that. If you follow the Global Stole um, community, you, probably, you are probably aware about what happened at the end of July. Uh, our dear friend Craig Lang from South Africa, who was our guest on the third podcast, was involved in a very uh, serious crash and unfortunately after um, really fighting uh, at the hospital for two days uh, passed away because of his very serious injuries. This was um, a devastating news uh, for me because uh, he was uh, more than a friend and uh, I would say a mentor and because, uh, let's say, it's my podcast and um, it's you know it's all it's called the stall collective and the collective means uh, really a lot to me and I'm sure you realize that already um so because of that I would really like to read what I wrote uh, on my private Facebook page uh, for Craig um so my dear Craig, In 2018, after a personal tragi- tragic experience, you, Sam and your beautiful children opened up your house and welcomed me and Julia into your family like we knew each other for more than 20 years. Having been your wingman, even for a few days, have been an honor. After that followed a strong friendship with countless calls, ideas about future trips but also talks about conservation and geopolitics. God, I would have loved to show you my mountains and welcome you and your family to our place. You were so proud of your son and I couldn't wait to fly with you both in the near future. I know that Cullen is already and will be a true African bush pilot. Craig, I'm honored you call me your friend. You are now watching us from the other side of the hill, and someday we'll drink again a Bavarian beer together with some delicious piltons. Farewell, my friend. You were a true legend. Well, um, I want to thank you for letting me reading that, um, and especially my next guest, because I know Craig would have loved to visit him, and he would have pushed me to cheer up a lot to do that and that's the reason why uh, I have to continue and, and search for new amazing guests and uh, show everybody how awesome that Stol Collective is. So, um, let's start. As you know, TSC is all about mountain, backcountry and bush flying, uh, mostly in Europe. But today, we are on a summer vacation in one of my all-time favorite countries. Well, um, I guess I have to say that after having uh, our honeymoon (laughs) trip there uh, back in 2016 and lived also a couple of months in the country, for more than 10 years uh, ago, Uh, yeah, that's it. So my guest today is Mr. Ben Kerr from Niseko Aviation in Hokkaido, Japan. Originally from Sydney, Australia, he very early on moved to Japan to pursue his dream of racing motorcars up to Formula 3. And after having discovered one of the deepest and lightest powder snow in the world on the northernmost island of Hokkaido in the mid-90s, Ben started his backcountry ski and snowboard operation next to the small town of Niseko, right at the foot of the magnificent Mount Yotei, which is of course a stratovolcano. Having flown General Aviation a little bit uh, in Australia and recently discovered bush flying at his birthplace in Alaska, of course, he went on a mission to be the very first to import, register and fly not one, but two Cubcrafters X-Cubs in Japan. One on 31's AK bushwheels in 2018 and the second on Amphibious floats last year. Niseko Aviation was born and since then Ben opened several airstrips in Hokkaido and has been pushing the exploration of Japanese freshwater spots all around the archipelago up to the point of being the very first to land a float plane on these rivers and lakes. All of this in 2021. So. As you know, uh, don't forget to check out our website. It's still 3 com for more content on each episode. For today's one, uh, we will have a lot of really cool pictures um, sent by Ben. If you are new to the show, you can find us on most of all major pod- podcast platforms. Sorry, If you are on Apple Podcasts, you can help us by uh, sending... A review, like, it's just 5 to 20 seconds. Uh, You drop a rating, that would be cool as well. And it really helps the podcast to grow and reach more people. So I definitely appreciate everyone who's gone over there and on that. You can also follow us on Instagram at Collective, And if you want to contact me, it's either on Instagram or you shoot me an email at contact at distollcollective.com. If you have any interest in helping out the podcast and make it grow, you can swing over to patreon.com slash The Collective, which is also linked on our website. And I really would like to thank our Patreon, Michael, for uh, his support. Last time uh, I told you about our book project, The Stoll Collective Volume 1. We are currently in full swing and working on the articles and layout. So I really want to start to thank our sponsors who are helping us through this phase. And even more all the contributors who are kindly offering us photographic content as well as written articles. Uh, Frankly I still cannot tell you guys when we will start the crowdfunding campaign which will help us out to print the book. I really want to make this one count, so please be patient and in the meantime, we'll have some more awesome guests on the podcast and I'll keep you updated about the project. That being said, let's get into the episode with Ben Care. Alright, so we are back at the STOL collective and I have to say bonsoir and kombauer to my next guest. So maybe some people we already check it. Um, so he is in a land I really love. I love to visit many times and I couldn't be more pleased to have Mr. Ben Kerr from Niseko Aviation with me. Hi Ben!
0: Hey, Maxim. Kombawa.
1: Kombawa. Ah, so cool to have you. So you just uh, after a small hiccup because <laughs> called you a little bit too early. <laughs> you know that. Oh, it was
0: it was perfect timing.
1: <laughs> Time shift. I have to ask you that usual uh, pitch elevator, more or less. So where you're coming from? Uh, because obviously people can see now, but you're not. You don't look like a native Japanese person. And uh, what did you do and what do you do now?
0: Sure. Uh, well, I'm um, Australian. I grew up in Sydney. Um, then at the age of 20, I actually I came to Japan, taught English for a little bit. Um, then came back again. And of all things, I was driving motorcars. I was racing Formula 3 and a, a few other four-wheeled things, um, having a lot of fun then somehow that switched to Hokkaido, which is Japan's northernmost island. And uh, we uh, sort of started setting up ski holidays and inviting predominantly Australians, uh, also people from around Guam, Saipan, and expats based in Hong Kong to, to come ski the beautiful powder snow we have here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, as a snowboarder, I <laughs> totally agree. So, wow. So, uh, and uh, just like I want to come back quickly. So, you were Formula F three is already quite a level. So, uh, a- and I know Australian people have a lot of connections to what is motorsport. A lot of connections to Japan. Is it something? Was it a goal for you to uh, to go over there and race in Japan or? Um
0: uh, sure. Well, the most Australians actually, because we we don't have Formula Three, we had something called Formula Ford. Um, they ended up going to England oh. um, to to race there, and then to to try to make the way up to Formula One uh, via Europe. Um, but having previously done a year of teaching English in Japan and loving the country and seeing that Japan actually also had quite an active racing circuit. I thought uh, it would be a fun place
1: to try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And you were, uh, during that time, so you said you went pretty early to Hokkaido, which is the north of northern island, but I assume you've been also all around Honshu main island and driving as well.
0: Uh, yes, the I mean, Suzuka is a beautiful circuit mm-hmm. and uh, most of the racing was actually down on Honshu, on the main island. Uh-huh. Um, Japan or Hokkaido has one, Tokachi Circuit, uh, which is also a lot of fun. But the time I came up to Hokkaido, that was really more for to play in the powder snow rather ah, than to, okay. to drive. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> I'm asking because one of my, uh, let's say, most memorable... Um, How do you say memory? Uh, From around Mount Fuji was uh, we were we just spent a night at the bottom of the uh, Subaru Fuji line. I think it's the Subaru right now. And then uh, I I got out. It was maybe seven or six thirty. I got out of the car. And then next to me, I I just I didn't see that car yet. But I was hearing you know click 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 click. And then I just looked right to, to our car and then I saw like a beautiful Subaru, which was really clicking a lot because the guy obviously was yeah. <laughs> driving the street up to Monfuji and then back, you know, <laughs> before yeah, all the buses I mean, are going up.
0: The, the Japanese, they, they, I mean, there's a, there's a really deep and a strong drifting community here. Um, I remember actually one of the first races I did was at, at Fuji, which is the circuit, uh, near Mount, Mount Fuji and, um, the, it was the middle of summer and we went out to get in the cars and it started snowing and it was the, the strangest thing. And at the time that the team manager said, he just said, whatever you do, just don't go off the circuit because if you go off the circuit, it's all snow. You're not going to stop. Um... But coming from Australia, where we really don't have a lot of snow, <laughs> and uh, suddenly getting into a car in, at, uh, in Shizuoka prefecture, and it's snowing in the middle of summer. That was, that was pretty bizarre.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, okay, so you, s- so you started your, your uh, snowboarding, skiing, backcountry uh, adventure company uh, in Hokkaido. And obviously, like we know, how much snow is falling in that region. <laughs> um, what about now? Uh, what about flying? Like, how did you come to flying? Did you start in in Japan or?
0: Um, no, actually, well, my father was a flew for fun. He was just oh. a uh, a private pilot, and as a kid, he'd taken me up in little pipers and Cessnas, oh, and cool. I loved it. Um, but didn't really follow through because at that time four wheels sort of met everything. Um, then, uh, finally got around to actually finishing off and uh, getting an Australian PPL. Uh, now about 15 years ago, I guess. Um, so learned to fly in, in Sydney Mm -hmm. around that Bankstown and Camden area. Um, had a lot of fun in an old, really old beaten up Cetabria. Okay. Um, little bit of aerobatics, a little bit of... That, that was beautiful flying. Um, and then realized that uh, the dream was really to, to try to find an airplane that I could use to fly out of um, our little farm in Nisiko, in Hokkaido. Um, so that's where the, the dream began, to find a, a bush plane for Japan.
1: Ah, okay. And uh, so... I wanted to ask, so how did you enter in contact with backcountry bush flying uh, first? Because I mean, uh, I, I I don't really actually I don't know what kind of strips strip do you have in Australia, um, or if there is a lot of backcountry bush flying, or if it's even allowed to if you're allowed to land on the beach in Australia? Because obviously there's a lot of landscape where is when there where there is nobody so like did you find out about like proper bush planes with bush wheels over over internet or over videos or like through your father something like that
0: yeah the in in australia um no i i said they didn't really get exposed to any of the bush flying there um We were flying off grass strips, but they're all nice and flat and long. and Mm -hmm. um, So that was pretty much seeing things on the internet and uh, seeing these new bush planes coming through and what they could do. So it actually all started in the States. I went to Alaska a couple of times and Uh did a a float rating as well as did some time on skis and uh, did some time um, learning about bush flying. Yeah, uh, that all came from America.
1: Oh, cool! And where, where, where you've been exactly in Alaska?
0: Alaska, the um, the skis that was at Talkeetna, uh-huh. um, which was a, a, a beautiful place. Um, Talkeetna is run by a gentleman called Burn Kingsford, um, who was just he was excuse me that was actually the floods. Um, he was just magical in a floodplain. Um, And that opened up a whole new world. Um, The skis was uh, Moose Pass and uh, a company Alaska Floats and Skis run by Don Lee, Mm -hmm. which was also a beautiful setup. And uh, wow, the terrain around that Alaskan area there is is totally mind-blowing.
1: Yeah, totally. And then after that, so you were already in Hokkaido. And you started to think about how to how to bring these kinds of... Uh, okay, sorry, my bad. There is a truck <laughs> driving by. Uh, I mean, boom, it's Japan. It's like you're in Japan and you're thinking about bringing bush planes and flying them in, in Japan. How does that come? Because to be honest, I've... Made some quick research already some time ago about uh, VFR flying in Japan, and I found it very scarce and quite, you know, administrative and not easy. Maybe except paragliding or maybe uh, glider flyings.
0: Yeah, um, the, I mean, Japan is is a, a really an interesting country, and uh, I heard something similar and had been told that flying privately in Japan is very rare and quite limited. Uh, and highly regulated. Um, so, I guess for me, the first step was to convert um, my Australian license into the Je- Japanese license. That actually went remarkably smoothly, um, despite my my Australian accent and the uh, <laughs> some of the strange names written in the logbook. There, the um, the JCAB. Um, the Japan Civil Aviation Bureau, they were actually quite welcoming and um, helped with the whole process. So the license came through easily. Um, As far as the plane was concerned, uh, we went ahead and um, the plane in, in Japan, sadly, every place you land on the ground needs to be registered. Um, you can't just land in someone's private property. Um, So you also can't fly uh, an experimental or a light sport plane without being heavily regulated. I think they require you you take off and land at the same place and you're restricted to to five or eight miles or something like that. So it became quite clear that I needed to find an airplane that was certified, um, preferably by the FAA, um and that's where Cub Crafters brought out that X Cub with uh with certification. And seeing what that plane could do and realizing that in Japan with that plane that would actually give me freedom to fly from registered strip to registered strip. Uh that was the, the beginning of the journey.
1: Oh, that's cool. Okay. But um, uh, like just just before we switch to the X Cub, I've seen some pictures of you in a in a red, I think ye- uh, red and yellow stripe PA twenty maybe, or
0: maybe a mall. Ah, mall. An, an M7. Okay,
1: an M seven. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, there's actually a a German gentleman um, <laughs> called Peter Steger who uh-huh. runs a, a little airport north of Sephora no called Bibo. And that uh, when I first wanted to learn to to fly in Japan, um, because discussion with ATC is a little bit different, and some of the the procedures they they have here are, are different to what I'd learned in Australia. Then it was actually Peter who took me up in his mall, and uh, and that was that was the start.
1: Well, how cool is that? Okay, well, that's funny. Yeah well there are a lot of similarities then uh, between Germany and Japan because we have the same issue like you're only allowed to fly between between strips or airfields C- as a contrary to as opposed to uh, to uh, all our neighbor countries where as soon as you have landlord authorization you can uh, uh, with a neutral light airplane or LSA you can land on it but uh, okay and um well uh, so We'll talk a little bit more about the X-Cup just later. I would like to, to stay on Japan itself and uh, the rules and regulations. How How is it to fly in Japan and Hokkaido? So, um, because obviously, so when people will see you fly both on wheels and on floats, uh, because you have both, you have two uh, on one on wheels and one on floats. So w- what about the regulations on floats it seems a little bit m- you, that you get more freedom as soon as your plane is on floats or is it similar
0: um very much so. the on floats um the the JCAB uh regulates the aeroplane until it touches the water um technically maybe in high-speed taxi or maybe during landing and takeoff, you're still on aeroplane. But as soon as you, you slow down on the water, you're actually no longer under their jurisdiction and you actually have to follow the rules of, of being a, a boat or a jet ski. So the the way the, the Japanese law looks at that is that any lake or river uh, that allows motorboats to operate, then as a as a float plane or a sea plane you're more than welcome to land this
1: oh that's beautiful
0: and um, the the ocean as well uh-huh. is is completely free basically to land anywhere um, we don't quite have the right setup currently to be able to, to wash the planes and maintain them properly in salt water uh-huh. so yeah um, There've been some beautiful saltwater lagoons that I've flown over in some of the southern islands, Oh, yeah. and I really had to just force myself not to land there. It was so tempting, but the we've been keeping the plane so far just just in fresh water. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, seawater is very demanding for the plane, and you really want to wash it properly. So, uh, so you were uh, wait you. You restrained yourself from landing there because because of your plane and you don't you, you want to be careful with it? Or because of the regulation? I didn't get it maybe No, completely. the
0: the regulation is, is completely free. As a okay. float plane we can land uh, anywhere in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only requirement that I believe the Japanese side has is that if you're landing in the ocean you're actually required to have a, a boat license. Uh-huh. Um but uh, no, it's it purely just because we don't quite have the right washing and maintenance set up to deal with salt water okay. that I've uh, been sticking to, to fresh water, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, well, yeah, it could be, but it's, but it's not so bad. You have really, really nice lakes all around.
0: There are beautiful lakes here. I mean, yeah. just, uh, Hokkaido is, as you know, is quite small, Um and today I was actually all the way up at the, the northern part of Hokkaido. Uh-huh. There are two beautiful islands there called Rishiri and Rebun. Um, and there's you could fly there even if you're only flying at sort of 110 120 miles per hour. Uh-huh. You can basically get from one end of Hokkaido to the other in, in sort of three or four hours. Um, we have um, more than a dozen lakes that I visit regularly, the water is, is just crystal clean. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, the rivers as well, uh, complete access there, which is there's some beautiful rivers here. So from a safety point as well, uh, I tend to follow the rivers. Okay. Uh, so I, I've got somewhere to land if I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the dams. Uh, there are a large number of um, very beautiful big dams where a lot of people play on their jet skis and, and motorboats and uh, the float plane lands there as well.
1: That's so interesting. You know, it's um, because uh, if I compare again to to Germany and even Europe, except Scandinavia, it's very hard to fly on floats in continental Europe. Um, because, like strangely, um, the, the authorities want to draw Runways on the lake all the time. Like you go to Lake Como, and then there is a runway symbolized by buoys on the lake, and you're just asking yourself, "So, well, what's the point of having a lake where you could actually uh, always start and land with uh, with a headwind?" So, no. <laughs> and uh, it's so funny, like that. That in Japan you have so many restrictions if you're on wheels. I mean, so many. You have beautiful strips as well, but it's just like you cannot land on on somebody's property, even if he's a, he agrees, he or she. But on floats, no problem.
0: It uh, yeah, the the floats is is very free here. Um, we're we're really lucky. Um, there are there are not a lot of float planes operating in Japan currently. Uh, regardless of that. There's one other gentleman down in Shimane Prefecture who has a um, a, a beautiful Cessna set up with floats there. And actually his house, it's almost like something out of Thunderbirds. He, he docks his plane underneath the house and then there's a hydraulic lift which literally lifts no his way. plane up out of the water. <laughs> um, and... Um, it's just insane. It's beautiful. And he does it purely for fun. Okay. Um, there's, there's one other really pretty yellow um, old cub that's flying or that's down in Tokyo on float, on whip line amphibs as well. But sadly, they, they don't seem to be flying that much. So really, to my knowledge, there's possibly only two or three um, float planes flying actively for privately for fun. So wherever we go with the plane, even at the airports, we find that the pilots get out of their jets and come across and they want to look inside the float plane. And I keep getting calls from all these professional pilots from JAL or ANA saying, look, I want to come up and land on water. It's my dream. How do I do it? Um, This is so so cool. wherever we go, we're always greeted by smiles. It's it's beautiful.
1: Uh, This is so cool. It's just... uh, it's really it's mesmerizing because you know like japan is a i mean still a big country and and uh, there are many people w- earning enough money to to be interested in such activities you know like they they and they travel a lot as well, so i mean they they could have made the same experience you had like fly in Alaska maybe or somewhere else and then think okay why not having a, a a float plane in japan as well that's very interesting do do, do you do you have um, an assumption uh, why why is that because i mean it's so cool you're one of the first to fly float planes in japan on a, a private and business basis of course but it's just uh, and yeah. we're in 2021
0: it's um I mean, Maxime it it is actually a little bit scary because I'm I'm still relatively new on floats. I I think I've got maybe a couple of hundred hours uh on floats. Um and when I did the training in in Alaska that was on straight floats. There were no amphibs available. So here I got this airplane with these amphib floats that um I've actually never even flown on amphibs before and uh. hearing all these horror stories about, you know, yeah. wheel down, water landings, et cetera. Um, and on top of that, most of the locations that we're flying at, in fact, for Hokkaido, we can say all, um, no one has ever landed a float plane there. So <laughs> even now um, I'm going out and, trying to be really careful with this little very small amount of experience that i have mm-hmm. um and it, it, it's a very capable airplane so uh i think that that really helps but um yeah everywhere we're landing on the water now is is basically a first um crazy it uh, it is crazy now why there aren't more more float planes i guess in my opinion, I also have the question, why aren't there more Japanese people flying for fun? Because as you sure. said, there's plenty of wealthy people who've got yeah. uh, beautiful, wealthy cars. Um, partly, I think um, the language barrier, I think the thought that you might actually have to do mm. some of the study or experience in English uh, is a bit prohibitive for for some of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I believe there should be many more Japanese uh, general aviation pilots. It's a bit confusing that that, that there are not. Um, and I'm really hoping that, you know, with this one little plane we've got here, that that's going to grow into two or three or five. Or, True. But uh, in fact, the Japanese float plane community will be growing from now. Yeah. Um, that's That's my hope.
1: I I hope you will be invited by Dan Bolton on his uh, on his podcast because I've been listening to him so many times and I was like, okay, I mean he's the guy on <laughs> about float planes.
0: I think I've got to do a lot more flying before then. <laughs>
1: yeah, but you know, it's still the basis. You know, like I, I'm sure there are many Australian people, not only Australians, who would love to 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 fly over to Japan and fly with you. So. Uh, And, uh, you know, I have the same feeling, like, even though I, I'm flying for, for several years, I'm just like, I have, I don't have many hours because it was always a hobby for me. And, uh, and sometimes I have people reaching to me and then asking stuff and, and, you know, presenting themselves and, uh, and they have like thousands of hours on military aircraft or whatsoever. And they are and i'm like okay i'm i'm not even 40 and like there's a 60-year-old guy with thousands of jet fighters or something else asking so hey maxim uh, what do you think what could i do there and and i was like okay mm. <laughs> very humbling but uh, yeah
0: <laughs> it uh, one one thing that is a little bit frustrating at the moment is to not being able to travel internationally mm. I, I had planned after doing a year or so flying here by myself to go back to Alaska, and to go back and to to get more lessons um, and correct what uh, no doubt I'm doing various things wrong at the moment. Um, so as soon as international travel opens up again, yeah. uh, one of the first places I'm hoping to get back to is is back to Alaska and um, and to get some more lessons for sure.
1: But I'm sure, Dave uh very probably very uh experienced pilots and flight instructors on floats who would love to to join you and fly with you on your x cub in japan and this is something you could definitely set up
0: yeah very very
1: welcome yeah <laughs> I would love to do that but i'm not <laughs> you're still welcome <laughs> thanks
0: the um i i should mention before i forget the um Although Japan going back to the ground and landing on the uh, on the bush wheels, um, although you have to land on a registered strip, um, it became clear that in fact registering a strip was quite easy.
1: Uh, yeah, I was going to ask as well. Yeah.
0: So we uh, we've got a, a little um, organic veggie farm, and it's so- got a cliff on one end and a road with electric wires on the other. Uh-huh. And I had a very specific sort of 350 meters I could try and work with. It's not flat; uh, it literally is still a paddock. Um, but uh, we we went ahead and uh, we got that registered. Um, uh-huh. From there, we then registered a few different strips around Hokkaido. So the it you actually have to file a flight plan before you fly fly in Japan. Okay. Um, which is a uh, a one minute telephone call and uh, you tell them where you're going. And if it's one of these little strips, then you have to call up and, and cancel the flight plan. Uh-huh. Um, but the, it became clear that in fact, registering a strip was, was quite easy. So there's a bit of paperwork that needs to be done, but uh, there's actually a lot of fun that could be had flying and landing in all kinds of crazy places. Um, uh, in Japan, I believe.
1: Ah, this is so great! Yeah, I'm sure because you know if you have your connections, especially in Hokkaido, there are so many farms. So it's very similar to the UK, where you have s- so many of these farm strips, and uh, and oh, that's that's great. Ah, happy to hear that because, yeah, I mean uh, I I have no experience on floats, so um, like you know thirty minutes with a friend, but uh, but on bushwheels it's just. Ah, that's that's great. Um, we have to talk about your operations because so so your company is called Niseko Aviation. And uh, and I uh, please please explain about about what what you're doing with the company and um, we talked I said we talked about the plane a little bit later but uh, but uh, let's let's talk about Niseko.
0: Sure. Um Nisiko Aviation is is really just a vessel to be able to own the aircraft. Um, when and this will lead on to the actual the X Cub, but when we decided to bring import the plane from America, uh, we needed to firstly get a, a type certificate mm-hmm. approval a T C for the plane. So to do that it became clear that the JCAB was gonna be more comfortable with a, a company set up. Uh, right. Further, and I believe it's the same in the states, and definitely the same in Australia. But to own an aeroplane, um, you actually have to be a, a citizen of of that country. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So I I don't have a Japanese passport. I'm still on an Australian passport, albeit with permanent residency. But not uh, being a Japanese national, it means that um, I can only. Uh, own a small portion of the shares within a company um, I believe that they have to be, it was two or three Japanese national directors uh, to everyone non-national
1: uh-huh. uh,
0: so creating Nisiko Aviation at the beginning was really a means to, to move forward, to get the type certificate to be able to bring the airplane in into Japan
1: mm-hmm. Okay and uh, once you 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 did that. I've seen you. You acquired your white X Cub first, and I think the the gray one came uh, last year. Okay,
0: and you. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the we we brought one across, um, and that was an earlier model X Cub. Um, uh-huh. So it came with the the simple instrument panel. Um, then the the second one. Uh, we decided to go with the floats and that delayed things a little bit in shipping from America. Um, but yeah, that's been here now for for two years as well. Um, yeah. So Nizhiko Aviation is really just a vessel to, to try to help promote these planes. Um, Mm -hmm. and we welcome people to come up and to come for a fly. Um, and uh, yeah, there's heaps of Japanese pilots that are that are doing so. It's just really to to help spread, try and grow general aviation um, throughout Japan. It's, yeah,
1: oh, that's cool. So you have, uh, <coughs> sorry, so you're you're taking people with you on uh, on sightseeing flights, I assume.
0: We're, um, yeah, we're not a commercial operation. Ah, okay. Um, so we're literally just operating privately,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, the and it's yeah just a, a vessel really to 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 own the aircraft. Um, in Japan, to operate commercially is is quite difficult. There's um, even to be a flight school requires uh, a lot of paperwork, and it's it's very expensive for the setup. So the, the hope with Niseko Aviation was really more to, to try help spread the word. Um, oh, uh-huh. We have a club member following, um, which is now actually a few hundred people, uh, and they're mainly professional pilots throughout Japan. <laughs> and uh, as, a, as a club member, they can um, come up and uh, they actually rent the plane uh-huh. um, as, as part of the, the club and uh, and get to fly that way but we we don't charge people or we don't take people sort of we don't take money to take them sightseeing okay. so to
1: speak okay okay understood and uh okay so so you you answered my question because i wanted to ask about flight school and uh how it it's something like that would be possible okay
0: well well that's, it's, that's um, good stuff it's it, it is a bit frustrating. The, the flight schools here, and there's some great schools, but they really are all set up to, to I guess, uh, increase the number of pilots going in to work professionally in the mm-hmm. airlines, um, and that's quite rigid. So a lot of the Japanese pilots that I know are, are doing, going to America mm-hmm. um, for experience there, um, and I believe they're more and more wanting to also to, to head to Alaska for some, okay. some bush plane flying. Yeah, f-
1: for sure. A very small question in two brackets because uh, it's it's not directly related to bush flying, but I've seen two pictures of you in an ASK-21 uh, glider. <laughs> <I'm> checking everything. <laughs> and I know, I know there is some nice uh, glider flying in Japan as well, which is, seems to be a little bit more easy to do. So was it was it on the on the Honshu on the mainland or on Hokkaido? Do you do you do that sometimes still?
0: Yes, the, the gliding is is I've only glided so far in Hokkaido, um, and there's some beautiful places there. It's it's quite free in the sense that as a glider you can actually land anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the I I'm actually mid getting my glider's license. Ah, that's so cool. So I'm not. I'm not uh, officially a glider pilot yet in Japan, but I, I love it. It's uh,
1: it's great. Yeah, I can't imagine. So I'm a former like, glider pilot, so that's why I'm asking because I started on gliders and uh, still still love love it. Well, that's cool. And I I just realize I, I we only talked about Hokkaido, but I didn't ask you exactly. So where, even if the island is not huge. It's still a little bit big, and uh, and so where exactly are you based?
0: Sure, we're we're in the um, the southwest part mm-hmm. of Hokkaido, um, and as you mentioned, we get lots of snow during winter. It it sort of snows somewhere between thirteen to fifteen meters of snow over about four months. Wow! Um, so there's some, some beautiful skiing there. The, and uh, The seasons here are also quite definite. Um, Come April, suddenly there's a big melt. The temperature uh, gets very warm. Everything turns very green very quickly. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where the main flying season starts. Uh, Further south in Hokkaido, uh, I can fly all the way through winter as well. The one thing we're still working on with the plane is we, we haven't been able to secure the the STC but that uh, has to come from, I believe, the American side first. So once that comes through, the JCAB will accept it. My my next hope is to, to put the x cubs on the skis.
1: Yeah, I want uh, That's that's great. You're talking about that because I wanted to ask how. Uh, yeah, what about skis and uh, if if you have the same rules as on wheels as well, or or is it again something different? Maybe, do you know that?
0: From what we've, the research we've done so far is uh, the Japan side will actually treat snow the same as they'll treat ground, okay. so to get a strip approved we'll have to submit sort of landing and take off from 50 feet data um, and once we can show them that then uh, yeah, there's, uh, I, I believe it will be hopefully smooth sailing.
1: Uh, that's great. Awesome. <laughs> so that's that's cool. You s- you started to talk about the seasons because I I, I wanted to to say uh, Hokkaido and Japan, uh, especially Hokkaido, is very well known for for its distinctive four seasons. And uh, I had the chance to be there in in during spring, but as well during autumn. I have a little preference for for actually for fall. So in October, I just 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 love fall. Um, and uh yeah is it like as you said you're mostly flying from april to i guess october november
0: yeah where where we are in nisiko the the weather um is a little bit prohibitive so further south around hakodate southern Hokkaido, we can i can get up in the air usually once a week but here um we have a, a lot of snowstorms, mm-hmm. so it's uh it's 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 not great for flying um but um that being said the further down in honshu and then all the way down to okinawa uh this year we took the float plane all the way down south wow. and uh that was that was a wonderful adventure mm-hmm. uh so once the weather gets just a little bit too unfriendly in hokkaido then we tend to migrate south oh, okay flight.
1: well even in winter
0: in winter, yeah. The actually around Honshu and uh especially down Kyushu, Okinawa uh-huh. area. Uh winter's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, with the float plane or with the plane on uh on on wheels.
0: Well we've oh. done both. Oh you take um, both. Whoa. But uh so with the float plane there were half a dozen different lakes that again no one had landed on. So I uh, had uh, <laughs> had to go and check that out a little bit earlier this year. Oh that's so cool.
1: Okay. Well that's great. And uh yeah, so, so I, I, I have to be a little bit more precise, but asking so you are around Yote or uh or or Date? Yeah, we're
0: we're right next to Yote. Okay. The actual ski resort is Niseko okay. is based right next to, to Yote. Ah, and yeah, our yeah, little okay. farm strip is is also right next to Yote, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I see Niseko right now on the other screen and okay. Yeah. Ah beautiful place okay now let's start to talk about the play uh, about the plane exactly uh itself so you you already explained a lot because the x cub is a certified plane. It was easier for you to 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 bring it to to Japan and get the type certificate um I'm just wondering. Were they no, like, was it for you the only, I'm not, uh, it's a beautiful plane, huh? uh, but it's just like asking, d- did you have something else in your mind as well? Maybe like trying to look for, I don't know, for a mole, because there is already one you're flying in on? Um,
0: the, yeah, the, the M 7 that I was flying didn't quite have the stall stallkeeper. A capability to be able to fly out of 300 meters mm-hmm. or to get approved to fly out of 300 meters by the JCAB. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm aware now that, um, Husky mall, some of the other companies are bringing out some beautiful, fly, um, bush planes, uh, and I believe certified as well. But when we first started to my knowledge, I think the X cub was possibly the, the only option. Mm-hmm. Um, and really getting out of an old Cetabria in in Australia, and then getting into this thing with the constant speed prop, and uh, that was just so beautifully balanced and and quite easy to fly. Um, uh-huh. It felt like the right plane. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I Definitely, can <laughs> I can confirm? I mean, I've only flown an EX two uh, for a few hours, and uh, yeah, it's just a beautifully balanced airplane. It's uh, insane. Um so do you have some so you said your first one is a, a, a pretty so stock uh cup from 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 the beginning um do you, d- did you add some some special features in it uh, when it as when it arrived in in Japan and then I have to ask you about the the other one because in the other one you have a full uh Garmin I think Ten inch, GX.
0: Yeah, touch. that's the G three G three X touch. The uh, yes, the uh, electro air um, became an option. Um, so we we put we replaced one magneto with an electro air unit. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing was I wanted to add the the engine warmer, uh-huh. being quite cool here during um, during winter. Uh, we put that on. Um, other than that it's uh, it's just stock standard okay and w- which engine uh, do you have in it the i uh, that's got the the certified one which is the uh c one g i think it is hundred and eighty horsepower uh-huh. um i believe now there's the the fuel injected more powerful option mm-hmm. um, yeah
1: yeah it's already plenty of of power uh I assume, <laughs> and on the float on the float version, it's it's the same engine.
0: Yeah, exactly the same, mm-hmm. the same engine. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah, it's it's the Japanese are, are quite used to that engine, um, so we don't have any problem with parts or with our annual inspection. Uh, the JCAB inspectors are quite used to it, so there's there's no problem there. Um, one thing that we, we do have here that is a slight headache is the, the X-Cup is not rated for MoGas. We can only run AvGas. Ah. So um, aviation gas or 100LL is expensive here. We have to buy it by the drum, and I think wow. we end up paying three three 330 yen per liter, which probably works out about US dollars, about 11 or $12 dollars a gallon. Wow, um, that's crazy. So I... I learned pretty quickly how to run uh, over square and lean of peak.
1: Yeah, I guess. Wow, wow, yeah, that's a lot. I, I, I. That would be interesting in the future, you know, like engines. I, I obviously so so we we fly a lot ultralights, so so we all like in Europe, many of my friends. So so we have Rotax engines, and I, I mean apart from the fact that they are very quiet. Uh, of course I can use Mogas gas everywhere and 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 the the, the gas quality at the petrol station especially in Europe uh, is, is quite good so uh, so it's a no-brainer and uh, and it's not killing your wallet at the same time so uh, so I'm I'm wondering rotax you know there's the 140 horse uh, 915 from rotax with fuel injected turbo already now for a few years I'm just wondering how long uh, manufacturers like like Cupcraters will take to maybe start to think about integrating these kinds of engines in their actual products because uh, you know like it maybe Rotax might bring a, a slightly more powerful engine than the nine fifteen and then as soon as you have hundred sixty horse then you're thinking okay I have hundred sixty horse but I'm maybe fifty kilos lighter than a standard Continental engine in that carbon curb, so more or less I will have exactly the same performance, but I will consume way less and I will be more quiet. So I think it's going to be very interesting in the future to, to, to see that, and uh, I'm wondering how long they will take to, to do that step, or to take it.
0: If there was a way to, to not have to use leaded fuel, uh, I'd much prefer to use something else. Um, Fingers crossed, we'll have electric engines available for these planes in the, the near future as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. True. Do you have? Um, do you have some? Uh, I don't think so. But I wanted to. You know, it's a big problem in uh, in Europe or where I live. You know, there are so many people per square kilometers that you know many people are complaining about noise. And uh, and I mean I'm lucky as said. So we are lucky. Our ultralights with Rotax engines they are. Pretty quiet so it's it's fair enough but uh but airfields operating airplanes or traditional airplanes there they are struggling because unfortunately more and more people are complaining about about noise. I hope it's not really the case for you because you are so few flying flying in hokkaido and in japan generally
0: yeah i'm I'm aware that some of the the smaller Airports down south have got people complaining about noise. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they have specific traffic patterns so that you can avoid uh, the people who get upset. Where we are, uh, I try to limit the flying during lunchtime because a lot of the the farmers have a little nap between 12 and 1. Mm -hmm. Um, On one end of the strip, I've got a a cow farmer. So um, when I take off in that direction, I... I veer off to the right to avoid the cows, and on the other end we've got a a, a chicken farmer, so Oops. I veer off to the left to avoid the chickens <laughs> at that end. So, the uh, but it's where we are. There's there's only me. So okay. it's, uh, yeah, Fair as long enough. as I keep the cows and the chickens happy, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's cool. <laughs> Back to the plane. Do you have do you have some special safety gear? You 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 you're taking with you because uh I I'm, I'm thinking about bears because I know there you, you have quite some, especially in the northeast part of uh of Hokkaido in the national parks. By the way I have to ask you about overflying national parks, how is how is that regulated? So let's stick on the safety gear and then talk about the national parks after that.
0: Sure. Um yeah the I usually carry an emergency locator. Um, and um, if I'm flying by myself in some um, some more challenging areas, then I'll I'll put a helmet on as well. Oh. Um, carrying gear, we're actually required to carry a first aid kit, and uh, I carry some spares and some other things with me. It it does get cool here, so often I'll have a, a spare jacket or some ski pants or something in the back as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so just just some simple things um yeah
1: and have you have you seen bears already uh during your trip up up north hokkaido or
0: yeah there's i mean we've got um a lot of a lot of bears around this area but seem to see more bears or 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 bear dung here and there from when we go mountain biking rather than um. the airplane <laughs> but uh yeah no there's there's heaps of wildlife around
1: uh. Yeah, I've seen you've got some really good trails as well for mountain biking in summer. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> right at your door. <laughs> I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And now l- about the national park. So, so I have no idea about flight maps. And do you have, do, y- do you use, like, do you use a, a printed map or do you have, like, something like for flight, uh, with the, the Japanese, um, maps integrated is it
0: yeah the um, in in the planes I've got because I guess it, they come with Garmin ah, instrumentation I've, I'm using Garmin pilot um, and there is a download for, for the Japanese maps um, The which the JCAB accepts so we don't have to carry the paper map as well ah, that's great um, the national park um, is not restricted Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there can be height restrictions um, they don't like it if you fly too low but um, that's the same as everywhere I believe True. The, there are some military areas um, and occasionally recently with the, the Tokyo Olympics mm-hmm. um, some of the events were held in in Hokkaido in Sapporo so um, two big no-fly areas popped up over Sapporo uh-huh. uh, this last month the but once again the most of the area here is is not regulated um most of the area in Hokkaido, especially if I'm flying low, it's actually hard to to speak to to anyone um so once again sort of sort of have to look after myself a little bit there
1: uh uh-huh. okay is it is it like a golf airspace or or something like that at low altitude okay
0: it's it's I mean, it's basically um, just unregulated. Okay. And once you get close to Sapporo or Chitose, Hakodate, Asahikawa, uh-huh. the the larger airports, uh, then sure it becomes controlled airspace. Okay. Um, but the majority of, of Hokkaido area is, is just not regulated.
1: Okay. I think Chitose is the only uh, military air force base on on Hokkaido, right?
0: Uh, there I, I think there are a couple more. Uh, oh, okay. The one actually that we use in in Sapporo called Okodama, that's uh, that's half military. Uh-huh. Um, so the ATC component is actually run by the military, and uh-huh. they're super friendly. yeah. Um, also has a base. Um, so there there are a few different places around. Um, but from my experience, uh, be it the military airports or the non-military, everyone is just so welcoming and, <laughs> and friendly Chitose is a bit busy uh, to try to get into Chitose it really would have to be quite early in the morning or late at night, just okay. because there's so much jet traffic it's but big. everywhere else is uh, yeah, is is just really friendly and uh, anytime we've had a problem then everyone just goes out of their way to help so it's uh, it's not difficult at all
1: uh, that's cool, that's great um Okay. Now um I mean you obviously you've been the the or uh, you're one of the very few fir- and first to 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 fly like that in Japan. So but do you have people like uh, you looked up to uh, you know and still consider with very high regards uh, like as an inspiration to fly in in the back country. Y- you talked about Peter, I think, in in uh, the German guy and in Hokkaido, and maybe some other uh, ones.
0: Sure, I mean uh, Peter has obviously got a, a wealth of experience in Japan, um, but uh, he's he's mainly sticking to to the airports and uh, not so much the the bush flying, so to speak. Uh-huh. Um, I guess the people that really have, have left the biggest mark with me would be uh, would be Vern Kingsford. Mm-hmm. um and uh, don lee and his operation uh, so that's really the time uh having spent in in alaska yeah
1: okay well, that's cool and um of course uh, everybody is hoping that the uh let's say the uh current pandemic situation will get better and and better and you will have more foreign people coming to your place. I didn't ask, are you still operating your, your ski uh, and backcountry snowboarding activities during winter as well?
0: At the moment, because we have zero um, overseas patronage coming through, then it's, it's quite quiet. Um, one thing that's been interesting to see is obviously the growth in the number of Japanese people coming up. Yep. Um, although we are in Japan, this Nisiko area, has really been a hub for overseas skiers. And uh, everyone coming overseas tends to book their holiday six or 12 months prior, wow. which the uh, the domestic mar- market doesn't do. So I think for some of the the Japanese skiers, it's almost been frustrating that uh, the overseas market gets in first and it's quite difficult to, to almost come skiing here. Okay. Uh, so this last winter was the, the reverse uh, suddenly, we uh, we have many more Japanese skiers coming up, uh-huh. um, and I my guess is that uh, this winter coming up, it it'll be the same the same situation. Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Japan's been quite restrictive on uh, foreign people, so flying to to Japan, even in summer, and with the Olympics, even worse. So,
0: mm-hmm. it uh, one thing they they did have was the. Uh, allowed people to move by private plane so I had some some friends come in and they would get their own little rent a car and go from Narita or Haneda to one of the, the local strips and then uh, I was able to, to fly them back um, oh, that's cool and going through going through quarantine when they say okay so you're going by private plane is it a jet? And so they they bring out the picture of the, the little ex <laughs> and uh, the uh, the quarantine guys are all laughing. And uh, they say it's kawaii. It's very cute. Yeah, really. Um, okay. So I've, I've I've done a few of these trips as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. Like every time you bring a picture of your plane, everybody's smiling because <laughs> because nobody sees that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the huge bonus point. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, is there so we talked about people, uh, they, like I, I now I really would like to ask from from about like special you know special stories y- you might have or anecdotes um, flying either with the float plane or or with the plane on on bushwheels. Uh, by the way, do you have twenty nines I think on your X Cubs or thirty ones? I don't remember.
0: We went to thirty one. Ah, yeah. cool
1: okay yeah so so back there if you have stories about like really cool stories you could you could tell me like <laughs> if something comes to your mind well, like
0: sure i i guess on the um on the on the bush wheels one of the the funniest ones was my my son was actually coming back from australia and uh so i had to fly down and and get him but we had this very early snowfall um in october at a time when there really wasn't supposed to be snow, um, so trying to um, to take off and uh, keep the plane in a straight line, um, get it out of the hangar on the snow there was um, was a lot of fun. Okay, but those um, those big wheels did help. And then, of course, flying back with with him on board, all the snow had gone. And we had grass again. So that was uh, that was one adventure. Um, for me, once again, not having uh, other pilots here that I can really turn to people with, with more experience, um, even landing for the very first time at our farm strip um, was, I think we had one windsock, little windsock set up somewhere, but was was that was a scary moment because on paper, I knew that the plane could do it. And... Uh, I sort of had uh, half-empty tanks and uh, everything was right, but um, not having a lot of experience in the plane and coming in over these wires and knowing I had to to slip this plane in to be able to stop in time. um, We did a few go-rounds, but um, Mm -hmm. landing there for the first time, that was a a really happy moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, those those wheels in the plane are so capable that – it, uh the plane really teaches me a lot, mm-hmm. which is great. The float plane, um, almost every time we fly, is a new experience. And um, landing at new lakes where we thought the shore was going to be sandy, where in fact it was rocky. Mm-hmm. So um, having to tie the plane up so I could camp next to the lake at night, end up putting the wheels down in the water so that the rocks would hit the wheels rather than the floats and then tying it up to a tree and uh, being very relieved that it was still afloat the next morning wow. um, all these um, all these experiences are, are, are just wonderful um, on the weekends there are quite a lot of jet skis around and mm-hmm. uh, some of the jet ski boys get a bit excited and they come alongside and want to race or sometimes dart in front of the plane just as oh. I'm about to take off. So there's some uh, <laughs> some slightly concerning moments there. Um, but uh, pulling in at the the marina down on Lake Biwa, uh, which is in uh-huh. central Japan, yeah. and it was the first time that uh, I believe a float plane had, had been into this Yamaha marina dock. Wow. And uh, everyone just turned out, and they they couldn't believe that an aeroplane was docking alongside these boats. So I'm I'm super lucky, Maxime, just to be able to go everywhere and, and to be welcomed. Actually. Yeah,
1: I can't imagine this. Just you know, it, it 2021, and you're the first one to land with uh, with a float plane on Lake Biwa. It's like it's the. It, <laughs>
0: I think I, I should correct myself there. I, I know that the other gentleman who has his plane had he has, has been landing at Lake Beaver for a while. Mm-hmm. But um I'm just not quite sure if anyone else has been crazy enough to want to dock with the boats or um, pull up on the shore yeah. and uh pitch a tent and, and camp there overnight. Um that seems to be raising a few eyebrows. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're lucky too that it's Japan, and you're more or less you can camp anywhere you want as soon as you don't leave anything dirty or something like that. So, so that was one of the main reasons as well. <laughs> just you can sleep anywhere, so that's and it's safe it's, everywhere. I mean, so.
0: it's, it's very safe, yeah. And um, usually people come along, and suddenly someone turns up with. A, you know a six pack of beers and some some steak for the barbecue and uh yeah it's it's very friendly. Wow, that's so cool,
1: okay, wow, all right, so um now I'm thinking about book uh, because i always I always recommend a book with uh with one podcast. And uh, I w- I've been lucky the last two times. Um, I should have... <laughs> I must apologize. I should have asked you maybe before. Uh, if, if you don't have one coming into your mind, it's not a big deal, really. Because <laughs> I could have asked you. So you could tell me later. But um, I'm wondering, you know, it doesn't really have to be a, a book Especially about flying, or even even bush flying, but if if it's a book related to to where you are, or because Japan has such a huge history about airplane manufacturings and and airplanes, I'm just wondering, you know, like is is there a book about general aviation in Japan? It's hard, of course, to to find one in English. Um, yeah,
0: the. I, I I guess the um, on, on the Japan side, um, you need to give me about a month to finish this book, but I've just literally just found and purchased uh, a book about float planes in Japan, which goes oh. back to, to some of the history. Uh, and it's only Japanese, and my Japanese reading skills are a little bit limited, so it's going to take me a bit of time to finish this one. Um, but it does appear that Japan has a bit of a history with float planes. Mm-hmm. So um I'll have to come back to you on that one in a month or two um, uh, yeah please I guess the other the other books that you've already mentioned of course the stick and rudder book is is amazing uh, there's also a, um, a book um, called the Killing Zone which um, as a beginner pilot uh-huh. I I think I I got a lot out of um, it's a bit of a dire I don't um, know that one name but um, okay the this one, um, written by Paul Craig, uh, "The Killing Zone: How and Why Pilots Die," as as a low time pilot trying to work out what to do and how to to keep myself semi safe here in Japan. Um, yeah, I, I got quite a lot of out of that that book. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, fair enough. And I have to ask you about music as well. So that's something I I could have asked before as well. <laughs> Obviously, I, I listened to quite some Japanese music for a long time as well. But uh, if you, um, yeah, later, if you can give me some, if there's some stuff you're listening at, and and uh, some recent stuff as well, because now you know, I'm, I'm, I, it's so funny. Like I remember more than twenty years ago when I was searching for Japanese music, and it was like just a pain in the ass. Because no internet, nothing, and you're like, okay, hmm, I have to go to a Japanese store in Paris to try to find some CDs, and uh, and now you just type in on Spotify on YouTube, and you find so many good stuff. So
0: yeah, I've I've got a, a few Japanese recommendations. That, that, uh, I, I tend to listen to mostly non-Japanese music, but there's there's some some good stuff too. I'll, I'll send it through.
1: Yeah, thanks because like the Japanese music scene is just so huge and there is everything and I think so many people don't know that and I mean Japanese sounds pretty close to English I would say sometimes so it's even if you don't understand it's quite pleasant yep 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 cool cool so now uh, 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 we we are we are arriving to the uh, final questionnaire you know (laughs) And I have to say it's the splash and dash thing, <laughs> special <laughs> for Daniel Bolton. <laughs> I have to take it. You're flying on the float plane so uh, quite often, so I have to ask that. So okay. um, yeah, so the first one is tail dragger or nose dragger, but uh, now you have four wheels on the on the float plane or floats. So tail dragger. Yeah, I nose mean, dragger. Def-
0: definitely tail dragger. Definitely tailwheel.
1: Okay, okay. And um, what's your favorite plane you've flown so far?
0: Um, I I really did enjoy the Cetabria, but um, the one plane that was really unique was I was lucky enough to, to get a few hours in an, an old Tiger Moth. Wow! Um, and that was um, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um for for fun uh I, the 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 x cup is um for me now is is just perfect
1: okay yeah i i can understand <laughs> so now the third one is bush wheels uh, skis or floats
0: can i pick two <laughs> um the bu- bush wheels and floats uh the skis i i haven't done in japan yet Although doing it in Alaska was just Mm mind-blowing. So really looking forward to that. Um, Yeah, if it's okay, I'd I'd like to pick bushwheels and floats.
1: Okay, fair enough. (laughs) And now, uh, so mountain spots on on bushwheels or skis, um, gravel bar, lake or sea?
0: Uh, we haven't been able to approve a gravel bar yet mm-hmm. um, as a strip. so at the moment we we're not landing on gravel bars, so it'll it'll have to become mountain flying, I think um, And um, I'm yeah, not landing on on the ocean yet. so um, definitely the lakes the, the plan. yeah yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> and um, do you have? because we, we asked you about some, some, some nice stories. Is there, uh, and you, you quickly talked about the, uh, of course, uh, wheel down landing on float plane, which is a horror story. And, uh, I recommend anybody, uh, to listen to, to the, uh, I think two specific podcasts Daniel did about, about that, that issue. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's I listen to those too, yeah. It's great, yeah. Uh, very important to listen to these ones. And is there a specific mishap or something, I mean, we're both learning a lot, it's like something you, you noticed afterwards uh, and you would like to share, like to say, hey, uh, I yeah, I, I I had that issue and I wish I would have done something different or or um, either on, on floats or on the bushwheel."
0: Um, from, from the flying point of view so far, I, I haven't done anything quite like that. The, the two times I sort of scared myself was once was weather related Mm -hmm. where I was moving the plane North, uh, in spring and, uh, it was all blue sky and, um, I hit the ocean near, uh, Yoichi and there was just a wall of snow. And I was calling through to Sapporo Airport, the other side, which is literally only 10 miles north. And they were saying they had blue sky. And so was my destination airport. So um, I circled in this location for about five minutes, thinking that this little random snowstorm would blow itself away. And I still had somewhere to go behind me as a backup. Then behind me started to close out. And uh, so I had no, both sides were were blocked. And um, at that point, I was actually circling over a, a runway in Yoichi that was still closed. And I could see the snow on the runway, but I could see footprints on there as well. So it didn't look like the powder was too deep. Um, and I knew that if I landed there, then this was going to hit the Japanese news and it was not going to be a good thing for okay. moving forward with bush planes, but, uh, cause the, the airport wasn't open yet. Um, and then thankfully the, the snow cleared on the ocean side and I kept continuing North and it finished without drama, but that was being caught up by the weather once, um, The other time was flying over the ocean in the bush plane with one window open for some photography. And um, I got hit by some strange rotor wind or some wind shear coming off the cliff. And uh, I was only at about 500 feet. And suddenly I was almost upside down. With the window open, uh, and uh, the person in the back was rather surprised. They they didn't drop their camera to their credit. But uh, I realized that uh, low and slow with the window open in uh, gusty conditions isn't the smartest thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, they're they're probably the two times I, I scared myself the best. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a good one about the the window open in, in sheer wind conditions. It's interesting. I'm um, uh, yeah. I cannot open the f- the window like like you do on my plane. So uh, so. Fingers yeah. crossed, like <laughs> something like that, won't happen. But
0: <laughs> I mean, o- opening the window is beautiful. And, yeah. uh, and flying slow and during summer is uh, is really special in that airplane. Um, but on this one occasion, obviously the wind came in at exactly the right or the wrong angle, mm-hmm. and it lifted the plane up totally. So the lower wing just just stalled, wow. and uh, yeah, that that happened very quickly. And I wasn't very high, so mm-hmm. um, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 good one. Um, now, what would be your dream plane to fly in the back country or mountains and? And you didn't have the possibility to, to, to fly on it yet?
0: The the one thing that I'd, I'm sort of hoping is maybe to try to find a, a PC-6. Ah,
1: um, okay.
0: I'd, I'd love to um, to bring something uh, like that to Japan <laughs> um, for some um, backcountry fun.
1: Okay. Well, like specifically because of the turbine or... Uh
0: or the payload, I, yeah, I, the, uh, the combination. Uh-huh. Um, there is there is a requirement here for obviously for skydiving. There's a lot of that, uh-huh. but um, the it, it's obviously just such a capable aeroplane uh-huh. that um, it uh, that that would be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Ah, good stuff. And now, uh, the last one is: uh, Is there a dream location you've not been yet, and you absolutely won't like to to fly in?
0: Um, for me, that I guess the dream location remains Alaska because um, I've I've been there only two times, and it's it's just so big and so beautiful that uh, yeah, that's that's where I'd like to go.
1: Okay, it always keeps coming back you know like everybody's dreaming about alaska (laughs) i wonder why (laughs) yeah 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 that's good awesome thank you so much ben
0: yeah thank you
1: yeah it's been great chatting with you and uh and i hope uh yeah i i i hope i will have the possibility to visit you soon because i miss japan and uh and it would be a a, a good stuff to 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 come over again and uh and and meet you because basically we are, I'm i i think we crossed our path without knowing each other because i i was right next door in 2016 so it's not so long ago and uh and i didn't know that that you were there so uh too bad but uh but still
0: yeah i'm, I'm sure these international fights will will start soon uh, and we'll then meet uh meet. yeah please please do come across yeah thanks thanks
1: all right then bye have a nice evening great to talk All right, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the discussion with Ben. And wow, who would have thought that Japan had such a permissive regulation uh, for float flying, especially uh, com- in comparison to uh, to general aviation flying on, on wheels. Please uh, don't forget to check out Miseko Aviation Instagram account as well as on Facebook. Ben is posting regularly. Uh, with some some great pictures and, and videos, also uh, Ben sent me uh, his uh, book recommendation yeah okay, it's in Japanese, but uh, it looks quite cool It's called Imperial Japanese Seaplanes from Shigeru Nohara. I will put uh, the reference on the website and if you like me, you like pretty cool drawings, even if you don't understand Japanese, I'm sure it's definitely worth uh checking also. My movie recommendation is the 1992 Studio Ghibli Por Rosso* or Kurenai Nobuta in Japanese. Yeah, you know, it's just the best movie ever. And for those of you who understand French, usually I'm, I'm a kind of um, original version terrorist. <laughs> um, so I only watch movies in the original version, it's just the best. Uh, but that movie in French is just like really good because you know Jean Reno is playing the main character So uh, and uh, next cool stuff uh, Ben sent me a really nice playlist uh, with some Japanese music and there is one I really like it's you know bringing these uh, float flying and summer vibes from an artist called Thunder and the song is see and stop I will put the reference on the website as well it's just bringing good vibes so now I already started to think and work uh, on the next podcast we will be a uh, look at uh, the artistic and photographic side of backcountry aviation and I'm really excited about the next one and talking to our next guest because yeah, I've been watching his pictures for quite many years now and it's a small dream come true. Summer is coming to an end, fall is coming. It's definitely my favorite season of the year. It's the most beautiful one in my opinion in the mountains. So I wish you all a great season. Fly safe. Use some safety equipment i really enjoyed flying with my flight helmet i will not take it off it was really a great buy so yeah take care and on to the next one bye (laughs) i'm I'm so sorry for (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like i completely messed up with the gmt like last time i've seen like gmt plus nine and i was okay there's like nine hours difference and i was like mm, strange normally it's in winter <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah i uh, no,
0: i, I should have checked i um yeah but uh but your timing was perfect just uh literally just landed <laughs> and um just turned around and then the phone starts ringing so i looked down yeah, and then it's me. Perfect timing.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that was so funny. I was like, huh? he's in the plane? Oh, well, that's cool. Well, it's all right. I can <laughs> wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome.